Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by ListenNotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us. As everyone knows who listens to these programs, I firmly believe we are living in the last the last days before the return of Jesus to this earth. I can't help but look at the news we see every night on the television and, and just relate it to Bible prophecy. Our guest today, Kermit Zarley, has had a very interesting past, one that's been blessed by God for sure. He's an expert, though, on Bible prophecy and has been studying the Bible for the last 50 years. What else has he been doing in those 50 years? Well, Kermit Zarley spent... 30 years full-time on the PGA Tour and afterwards on the Senior and Champions Tour. In those 30 years, he won five tournaments, was runner-up 17 times, and he also co-founded and led the PGA Tour Bible Study, which still thrives today 55 years later. Praise God. Now retired, Kermit is a pioneering author of books on biblical studies with nine books published, and his first book, The Gospel, was endorsed by none other than Billy Graham himself. Praise God. Kermit's now writing a 12-book series on Bible prophecy titled Still Here, with four of these books already published, and that's what we're going to focus on today. Help me welcome to the program, Kermit Zarley. Kermit, it is such a blessing to have you on the program today. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you, Robert, and uh, it's a joy to be here with you. And now the first question I always start with, other than that brief information I just shared, can you tell us in your own words, who is Kermit Zarley? Well, I got a strange name and uh, I was born in Seattle, Washington. Uh, I took up golf as a kid. I went to the University of Houston because they had a good golf team. They were winning the NC2A championship almost every year. Uh, I graduated from there and went on the PGA Tour. My first year on the tour, uh, Bob Hope interviewed me and Jack Nicklaus, who played in his tournament uh, on the last round. And uh, he said to Jack, hey, Jack, who's this guy, Kermit Zarley, you play golf with today? With a name like that, he sounds like the pro from the moon. <laughs> and that became my nickname with the media. The pro from the moon. Amen. Amen. I, I remember reading that. Yeah, that was funny. But yeah, you you played in the heyday. I mean, you know, Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, and, and all of them. And uh, the, I remember growing up watching that. I've always been fascinated with golf. Not very good at it, but I, I've always been watching it. Uh, my grandson, he was he was excellent at it. He, I took him out when he was three or four years old and introduced him to golf. And he just took it. He, he made the uh, varsity team as a freshman in high school and, and won tournaments and all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, he, he, he just, <laughs> I'm a retired cop. And when I used to get off duty, I'd work at midnights, we'd 
I was like, hey, it's a nice day. Let's go out, play some golf. So I swing by, pick him up. He'd smoke all the cops. I mean, just seven years old. He was the 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 challenge for our department was to beat Christopher at golf. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was always a man. We, we our families just enjoyed golf, and and I I just appreciate your contribution to the game, and 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 just those memories. Uh, just thinking about it, it just brings back memories. Praise the Lord. But <laughs> you were studying the Bible even before you went on tour, correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I didn't come from a religious home, but both of my parents had respect for Christians because they they both uh, grew up in church-going families. And so one of my uncles started pastoring a little Nazarene church a mile from my house. And so when I was five years old, my mother sent me off to Sunday school there at the church. And so I grew up going to Sunday school. When I was 13 years old, my Sunday school teacher, who was a student at the University of Washington, he had us kids memorize 10 verses in the New Testament. And one of them was Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of works. And so I asked Gordy, what does this mean, not of works? I thought I was a Christian just by trying to be good. And he said, well, let's talk about this after Sunday school class. So we did, just him and I. And uh, he invited me to have prayer with him. And I accepted Jesus into my life at that time. And so I believe I was born again, like Jesus said to Nicodemus in the Gospel of John in chapter 3, you need to be born again. And so I believe I was born again into the kingdom of God by faith in my Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, but then we moved away from the church. I didn't go to Sunday school anymore. But when I went down to Houston to go to college, there were a bunch of guys in the athletic dormitory who were Christians and they were uh, meeting for Bible study in the dorm, and I started joining with them, and that's when I I really started to grow as a Christian Amen. and Amen. became a student of the Bible right away and for the rest of my life. Hey, Amen. That's awesome. Awesome. And you were writing books on theology while you were a full-time golf pro as well, right? How did you manage that? That's right. You know, it was a hobby at first. Uh, here's what happened. I studied a subject, uh, the second coming of Christ in the Bible, and then I read some books about it too, and I wrote a 30-page letter. This happened when I was 30 years old. I was still playing the tour full-time and, you know, raising a family and everything. I have three children and six grandchildren. And so then I, I started thinking, I wonder if I could ever write a book. And uh, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, you know, I, I said that to my, my wife one day. We we're driving out of church. Marilyn, I'm going to write a book. She says, what? You can't write? <laughs> and she she had an English degree, and she knew something about writing. And she, I thought she was pretty good at it. And I, I laughed, and I said, well, yeah, you're right, but I'm going to learn from you. She had a real good <laughs> vocabulary, you see. Mine was terrible. And so I hated to look the words up in the dictionary and all this. And so anyway, I but I had determination. If I put my mind to something, 
I'm liable to do it. And so that's what happened. And so uh, along came my first book there in 1987, The Gospels Interwoven, and Billy Graham endorsed it. So I was on my way. And, And I have that book. Oh, um, do we, you? Yeah, we we recently moved about three months ago, and there's a lot of stuff still packed up. I know I got because I purchased that book back. I got born again in 1992, and oh. you know, trying to read the Bibles and all that stuff, you know, was, was you know getting confusing. So you know, along came Amazon, right? Yeah, and uh, and I remember I purchased that book, and I keep every book. I've you know, my grandson came in at the other house. We had three walls covered with bookshelves. Goes, Papa, did you read all those books? I go, some of them several times. (laughs) (laughs) But your book is one of them that I did purchase because it just made it easy for me to understand the gospels. You know, oh, great. I I was trying to find it. It must be up in the attic, still boxed up. And uh, because I was like, oh man, this would be a great shot just to hold it up. Say, see, But amen. I know I got your book though, because it, it was one of the first books when I got born again in 92. I guess I ordered it probably about 1994 or so, right in that area. Hey, so how about amen. that? Praise the Lord. But the, hey. now, when you wrote this book, did you realize it was going to be something that you continue to do? Well, that was my goal. I wanted to write more than one book. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, I wrote, I wrote this 30-page letter about, I mean, uh, uh, 30-page document about what I had learned about the second coming of Christ. And uh, and my direction was that my first book was going to be on the second coming. Mm. But then I told a couple of friends of mine about another idea I had, and that was joining the Gospels together in one reading i didn't know very much about history about this and uh it had been done quite a lot in the history of the church uh and so uh i told my professor friend at dallas theological seminary uh dr s lewis johnson and uh, another friend of mine jim hiskey who had helped us start the pga tour bible study and both of them said the same thing. I think you ought to you ought to make that your first book. That's that's a better idea, I think. And so I got convinced by them, and so that's what I did. And so the Gospels Interwoven became my first book, the Gospel actually, and then the Gospels Interwoven the next month. And then my third book uh, was a book on prophecy, Bible prophecy, and that is uh, Palestine is coming. Mm-hmm. the revival of ancient Philistia. And uh, so that became my first book on Bible prophecy. Then still here came later on. Yeah. Amen. So you mentioned the PGA Tour Bible Study Group. When you co-founded this group, did you think it would last as long as it has? Wow. I don't know if I had any thoughts about that, but, you know, we started as a small group. It was just six guys, uh, five on the PGA Tour, and uh, a couple of them had been new Christians, Dave Reagan and Paul Bonison, and they had quite a change of life. Uh, Dave was a pretty good player. He finished second to Jack Nicklaus in the PGA Championship one year, and so... You know, there was this uh, 
discussion going on among some of the players on the tour about some of these guys, you know, having a changed life like this because they are Christians. And so we decided, well, why don't we just start a Bible study out here on the PGA Tour? And that was 1965 in Philadelphia. And so that's what we did. It was small group at first, but we, you know, grew a little bit through the years. Uh, we would have outside speakers come and speak to our group. We would hold the meetings usually on Tuesday night or Wednesday night before the tournament in some uh, hotel place. And uh, about almost half the time we get what I call outside speakers. We had Billy Graham speak to us uh, four times. Amen. And so that's how I got to know Billy Graham. Amen. Yeah, I, that was the question I was going to ask because I, I know the rounds start very early in the mornings. And there's travel time in between events and all that stuff. So I was going to ask, when did you hold your Bible study? When did you have time to meet? You know, so as, yeah, as you arrived that, into town and before the the stuff all started, then. Yeah, that was a big issue for us, you know, to squeeze it into our yeah. our busy uh, lives. And uh, so we chose seven o'clock in the evening uh, for the early years. We did it on Tuesday night. Uh, Pro-Am was always on Wednesday on the PGA Tour, and then the tournament would start on Thursday and go through Sunday, so you have four rounds uh, for all the tournaments on the PGA Tour. And so we just decided, okay, the only time we can do this is Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, uh, and we would meet for about mm, an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, and it was open to all the players and their wives, and uh, even to the caddies and officials in the tournament. Uh, it wasn't open to the public. Right. right. Uh, we made the Bible the, the center of our discussion. Uh, we would have a sharing period when we start out. We'd open with prayer, and uh, people would then share their lives for about 10 minutes, you know, some experience they've had with God, things like that. And then uh, we would usually get into the Bible, uh, read some text and discuss it. Uh, and we would close in prayer. And that's the way we went. We put a, a sign up in the locker room, PJ Tour Bible study at such and such a hotel Tuesday night at seven o'clock. And that's the way we went year after year. Nowadays, there's so many good players that are part of the PJ Tour Bible study and have been through the years and won lots of major championships. It's just amazing. Yeah. Amen. And do they ever invite you to come speak at the groups? Well, uh, <clears throat> I retired in 2005. Yeah. And so I, I had renewed my PGA tour career when I turned 50, mm -hmm. uh, you know, nobody really expected that this, uh, senior tour, which then was renamed the Champions Tour, that that was going to be uh, a significant thing in professional <laughs> golf. Yeah, they started it in 1980 just on a lark. Uh, Jimmy Demerit got together some of his friends, and uh, they went and played golf over in Austin, Texas. And lo and behold, the television people found out about that, and they loved the idea. And so that was the 
kind of the catalyst for getting the senior tour going. So when I turned 50 in 1991, I became eligible for that and returned to my career and played full-time uh, for 10 more years on the Amen. senior champions tour. Amen. Amen. It's good though, to see what you started continuing to thrive all these years later, you know, yeah. God, God is at work. And uh, for sure. I, uh, I'm just amazed that, yeah. you know, you can start out like Jesus said, a uh, mustard seed, the smallest yeah. seed in the garden, but yeah. uh, you know, the kingdom of God grows into the, the biggest plant in the garden. Amen. That's right. Amen. Amen. Now let's shift gears a little bit. Now you hold the belief of what you call a historic premillennialist, and thus you are a post-tribulationist. Now I can respect that. I hold the same views basically, but at the same time, I have to admit, I kind of pray to be taken out of here before all the trouble starts. Right. <laughs> but, but at the same time, I do believe we're going to be going through some troubling times in the not too distant future. Amen. But yeah. can you share with our listeners why you hold to the post-tribulation viewpoint rather than the pre-tribulation theory that's popular today? Yes. Well, um, <clears throat> in 1971, uh, in the off-season of the PGA Tour, which would be like uh, November, December, um, I was reading my Bible in my study room in my home, and I was reading Jesus Olivet Discourse, and I came to the verse uh, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Uh, no man knows the day or the hour uh, when the Son of Man will return. And uh, I knew that text, you know, pretty well. And But for the first time, it just jumped out on me. Uh, I also knew about the hypostatic union. Uh, that means that uh, Jesus is both uh, God and man, and that he has these uh, two natures. And so uh, I, I just got to thinking, uh, huh, wow. So this, uh, this caused me to study the, uh, the return of Christ, and uh, I... Uh, I, 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 two verses uh, stood out at me. That was First Thessalonians four, uh, verses thirteen through eighteen, in which um, uh, Jesus is speaking of the uh, the dead shall rise and he shall return. And I had always been taught for twelve years that Jesus' uh, second coming was in two parts. And so I, uh, the first part would be before this tribulation, which I was taught would last for seven years. And they called that the rapture. It, they said it was silent. Uh, Jesus would come into the air from heaven and the people of God who were deceased would come up out of their graves. And those who were living would then join them, go up into the sky and meet Jesus in the air, and then he would take them off to heaven. That's called pre-tribulationism. And I was still a premillennialist. That means that uh, when Jesus comes after the tribulation, he'll come and bring his church with him down to the earth. 
and then he will establish his kingdom on the earth and in all of its fullness and glory. And this is called pre, uh, premillennialism. So pre-tribulationism is a view within premillennialism. The other two prominent viewpoints uh, are uh, post-millennialism uh, post and amillennialism. The Catholic Church generally uh, has been kind of amillennialist. And so I've been a premillennialist all of my life since I was 18 years old. But uh, I then questioned uh, this verse and thought, well, uh, I don't know about this separating these two events. It seems more to me like uh, various passages in the Bible are just speaking of one second coming, and it would be at the end of the tribulation. And so I read some books, Dr. John Wolverd, president of Dallas Theological Seminary. That school had been the main school in the United States that taught the uh, pre-tribulational view of premillennialism, wrote a book about it, The Blessed Hope. So I got his book and read it. But then he, he mentioned George Ladd, who is a professor over uh, at, uh, uh, can't think of the school now, over in Pasadena, Cal Fuller. Fuller Theological Seminary, and he he uh, wrote a book uh, that was historic premillennialism, meaning not a pre-tribulational rapture, but there was just one event, the second coming at the end of the tribulation. So I got his book, and then I was learning about these early Plymouth brethren who had really established re-established premillennialism. The early church fathers had believed in this. Uh, but then eventually other views became more dominant in the history of the church. But the Plymouth Brethren renewed it in the early part of the 19th century. And uh, the two leading uh, teachers among them were John Nelson Darby and Benjamin Wills Newton. And then Darby started teaching this pre-tribulationism within the premillennial viewpoint and Newton disagreed with him, and there was a clash, and then there was a division of the Plymouth Brethren, and you have the open and closed Plymouth Brethren because of it. And so I, I decided, I'm going to go to Dallas Seminary. I lived in Houston, and so I went up to Dallas Seminary, rented a hotel, and stayed there for one week in the library from the moment they opened the door to the time they closed the door at 11 p.m. And I studied all these books by John Nelson Darby and Benjamin Wills Newton, uh, who wrote about this stuff. Uh, Darby wrote 34 books, and most of all this was on Bible prophecy. And so I became convinced that, no, Newton is right. There's only one second coming. There's, it's not split up into two different events. And so there isn't a pre-tribulation rapture. There's only Jesus coming at the end of the tribulation. Amen. Amen. That Amen. became my view. Amen. And, and as I've progressed in life, I guess you could say, I'm holding to the same thing. Because, I mean, I see stuff going on in the news right now that, you know, it's, I mean, it's lining up pretty good. <laughs> Let's put it like that. But we ain't seen nothing yet. It's just yeah. 
Yeah, these are just the birth pangs, you know. But uh, amen. Yeah. But let's look at your book series. Still here. Okay. Uh, you began this book in 2006 with the Third Day Bible Code. Can you give us a synopsis of this book in the series? And and has your premise changed since you first published the book? No, it's it's remained the same. Uh, <clears throat> when I uh, became a serious Christian studying the Bible back when I was in college. I, I st- uh, would put a, a sheet of paper in the back of my Bible, and I'd write down questions, questions that I had about the Bible. Hmm. That became a big list. Eventually, there was 50 questions. I got almost up to 100 after a few years. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes I would go in and write in there that I got the answer to it, and most of the time I got the answer. Uh, and so I had this one question for a long time. I didn't do anything about studying it. And it was in Hosea chapter six. I'm going to get my Bible here and I'm going to make sure they don't misquote it. Uh, Hosea chapter six, uh, starting with verse one, it says, uh, come, let us return to the Lord, for it is he who has torn and he will heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Amen. And so I was wondering to myself, ah, that seems like that's talking about the resurrection. You know, Jews, Orthodox Jews, they believe like Christians do. Uh, in fact, that's where we got it from. You know, I just read <laughs> from the Jewish Bible right there. Yeah, that's part of the Christian Bible, the yeah. Old Testament, and so uh, they believe in the resurrection too. And so uh, I wondered, what does this mean? Two days will revive us. On the third day, it'll raise us up. And so one day, I said to myself, you know, I haven't looked into this, but today I don't have anything to do. And this was about 2004. And so I opened my Bible and I said, okay, the first place to start, get your trusty Bible concordance out. Amen. So Amen. I got Strong it. Concordance. I regard a, a Bible concordance as the second most important book in my library. Amen. My Bible. And Amen. so this is the way a Bible student should be. That's and right. so I got it out and I looked up uh, uh, second day. And and third day and fourth day and fifth day and sixth day, and you know I looked up third day first and I I thought oh wow the, there's a third day motif in some of the most important events that ever happened to the nation of Israel in their history. Hey folks, Pastor Bob here. We're all out of time for today's portion of this interview with Kermit Zarley. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is some really interesting. So Kermit, as you, as you heard, a former retired. Uh, PGA Tour professional, winning tournaments, and, and he's on the Champions Tour. And he's those thirty years he won five tournaments, was runner-up seventeen times. Praise God, right? But he co-founded and led the PGA Tour Bible Study, which still thrives today, some fifty-five years later. But he has become known as a pioneering author of books on biblical studies, with nine books published, and. His recent book, Still Here, it's a, it's a book series, the Still Here book series, and he's been sharing with us little tidbits of information uh, from this, and 
Folks, I'm telling you right now, you need to drop down the show notes. Click the link right there. Uh, you can go to his website, KermitZarley.com, and you see all these books there, and, and you can get in touch with them. The contact information is there. <laughs> all four books that he's written are, are on there. But the information he is just sharing is, oh, I'm just so fascinated by it. I could sit there, and I literally did. I listened to him for an hour. You know, I was asking some questions just out of curiosity for my sake. But, folks, I'm telling you right now, Kermit's books are gospel. Let's put it like that. They're gospel. And you need to drop down the shows, click the links, and go ahead and get them. This book series is going to be awesome when it's completed. Oh, praise God. But right now, we're all out of time for today's portion of the interview. Be sure you come back in the very next episode as we'll be concluding this interview with Kermit Zarley and myself. And, folks, till then, this Pastor Bob reminds be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcasts. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.